The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a return guest, but he hasn't been here for a while. David Shea is the director of the Office of Charge Card Management for GSA, which means he's in charge of the SmartPay program government-wide. David, welcome back, man. Hey, it's great to be back. It's great to have you. I mean, it used to be we did this show once a year for the the charge card update, but for some reason I haven't had you on for a couple of years, and that's my fault, not yours. Uh, so, so bring us back, man. Uh, I understand an anniversary is uh, is occurring. Yeah, you know, I think COVID had something to do with our interlude there, Mark, and and also if I counted correctly, I think this is my ninth time on the show. So, um, but even beyond that, this is the 25th anniversary of the GSA SmartPay program, um, supporting agency business processes, streamlining them, making uh, procurement, travel, and fleet fueling and maintenance more agile, and saving money uh, for agencies uh, to boot. Uh, The current iteration of the program, GSA SmartPay 3, is designed to support agencies across the government and around the world through fiscal year 2031, if all the options are exercised. And as you well know, participating agencies are earning refunds or cash back. Um, and under SmartPay 3, their, their earnings are at the highest levels in the program program's history. Uh, for example, refunds in fiscal year 22 alone totaled 400 million, an increase of uh, over 9% from fiscal 21. And this is money that, you know, the agency simply by choosing uh, to use a card product to pay, they earn these refunds that they can reinvest in mission delivery uh, and save taxpayers uh, money. And since the the program started in the late 1990s, um, total uh, spend is, has been more than uh, half a trillion dollars at $642 billion. And the cumulative refunds, get this, the cash going back to the agencies has reached almost $6 billion as of the end of fiscal 22. I want a program like that for my Capital One card. Can you give them a call <laughs> for me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but but I will say, you know, the, the, the program spend uh, agency use continues to be very strong in, in smart pay one, which was a 10-year contract, as you may recall, uh, total spend under that program was about $231 billion. So that was the first 10 years. In the second 10 years, which was the SmartPay 2 program, the spend increased from that 231 to $295 billion in spend. And right now, through fiscal 22 on SmartPay 3, the current iteration uh, we already have, with just four years in, $117.2 billion in spend. So you can see that, that agencies are leveraging this great tool 
more and more to help them quickly buy items that are needed to support mission delivery, to get government personnel into travel status on site, to respond and support their various mission responsibilities, uh, and also to, to fuel and maintain government vehicles that are used uh, to support the, uh, the government mission. Uh, in, in fiscal 22 alone, the $32.8 billion in spend across all business lines, and you'd ask me about how much purchase was of that. So last year alone, $23 billion was spent in purchase. We've also seen uh, along the same theme of increased agency use, the number of accounts increase significantly. So in the prior uh, generation of the program, SmartPay2, we had around um, 3 million accounts, and now we're up around 6.6 million accounts. And there's been significant growth in both uh, the travel area and in, in purchase cards. Uh, we've got 4.7 million travel accounts out there. The other interesting dimension of the card program that agencies continue to leverage is uh, 34% of the card spend was with small business, which is far above the government-wide contracting goals, as you know. Right. And because, because cash flow is king for many small businesses, accepting the purchase card can be especially helpful as they get paid, you know, in one to three days, as opposed to to net thirty or fifteen days or less under the um, the quick pay provisions for small businesses under the FAR. And for vendors who are looking to do business with the federal government for the first time, since the cards ride the rails of commercial uh, credit cards, you know, they're just Visa and, and MasterCard, for example. We have both brands, and it'll vary depending on agency which is used. Uh, there's no special procedures to accept the cards. So there's no government-unique invoicing procedures to comply with, for example. So I've thrown a lot of statistics at you, Mark, and I'm going to pause and, and, and let you get some words in edgewise there. <laughs> no, well, I, I appreciate the statistics. That's why it's why you come back, man, because you, you feed out all this great information, and now people have to download the podcast and play it back to catch it all. Um, you know, I'm furiously writing notes. Uh, do vendors still, uh, should they still be processing at level three to, uh, to be able to accept the card? Well, they don't have to process at level three to accept a card, but the way we structure our contracts with the card issuers is whenever they receive level three data, uh, they have to pass it on to us. And of course, we're very interested in understanding our spend. The agencies are interested in, in getting maximum data capture. So level three data, which to those who aren't familiar, is really the line item detail uh, with the transaction. So it doesn't just say the merchant that you uh, made the purchase from. It identifies the item that was bought. Uh, that data is very valuable when we, when we can get it. Um, level two data basically includes the merchant and, and tax information and so forth with, with most government, uh, purchase card transaction transactions being tax exempt, of course. Um, uh, but you don't, as a, as a merchant, you don't have to provide level three as a prerequisite to accepting a GSA smart pay purchase card. Okay. And the prefixes are, are they still, 
Uh, I remember when the, the program went from, uh, from Rocky Mountain to SmartPay, from Impact to SmartPay. We had, uh, I think, four distinct prefixes. Are those still the same? Yeah, these are known as bank identification numbers or BINs, and the industry has actually grown to the point where BINs now range from four to six of those first uh, account number uh, digits. And so in terms of smart pay, as we've added uh, various commercial card-based payment products, the BINs in use have increased. So we have more BINs. And we have those bins in addition to a lot of the statistical information for those, Mark, that might be like you furiously writing notes on our website. So I would encourage those who are interested to check out smartpay.gsa.gov. And on there, we have uh, a wealth of, of spend information going back to the late 1990s, as well as uh, we have uh, publications and information for merchants that tells them you know, how to identify a GSA smart pay card, what they need to do to accept the card and so on and so forth. So those bins are there because uh, we require the banks to give us unique bins uh, for the government. Yeah. And I I remember um, when some of the storefronts uh, way back when, like CompUSA, when they got their GSA schedule, they, uh, they programmed their their cash registers or however that went to identify the government credit cards or charge cards. And I want to get into that, too. The charge cards so there would be no tax applied to those orders. Right. We have we do have merchants, uh, for example, for office supplies, uh, for maintenance, repair and operating uh, supplies and for other items where the the our card number, our unique card numbers are recognized by those merchants. And not only is the tax exemption provided, but if GSA has a contract in place with discounted pricing, that cardholder is automatically going to get that uh, discount without having to know contract numbers or purchase order numbers or anything like that. Very cool. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with David Shea the Director of Charge Card Management at GSA, and we'll return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. David and I go way back, so if, if there, it sounds friendly, not only has he been on the show nine times, but uh, uh, my daughter went to school with his twin sons. So we've known each other for, for quite some time because that wasn't last week. Um, you're in charge of the charge card program for the government, not the credit card program. What's the difference? Okay, that's a great question. And uh, the, the main difference is in uh, a credit card that most consumers will be familiar with. Uh, it's a, a, a revolving charge card account where a balance can, can carry over from one billing period to another and there is interest paid for that balance that's carried over. So the the difference between, and that's a credit card, and the difference between a credit card and a charge card is in the case of the federal government's charge card program, we don't carry over a balance. It's paid off in its entirety every billing cycle. Okay, cool. The program itself, I mean, there was a travel card before there was the uh, even the impact thing way back in the diner's club day. 
And I remember uh, American Express going after that account from Diners Club. And my understanding is uh, when they saw the amount of money being transacted by Diners Club, they went to the government and basically their bid was, we'll give you X numbers of millions of dollars a year if you let us hold this contract. And that was complete opposite of what Diners was doing back then. Well, you had the program uh, grow out of of several separate initiatives in the 1980s. You had uh, the Department of Commerce and the Department of Transportation and others uh, who were participating in what was called the Procurement Executives Association at that time under the leadership of, of Commerce's senior procurement executive, a gentleman by the name of Bob Welsh, who started experimenting with purchase cards you had uh, travel cards uh, starting to be used, and you're right. It's it, you know I wonder how many people remember that Mark that the first government travel card was a diners club card, um, and then you had fleet um, under the GSA fleet program experimenting with the first uh, fleet cards, and then in the 1990s, OMB decided to bring all these th- uh, three business lines together under what became. Uh, the the GSA SmartPay program. Uh, so we in, we enveloped all of those programs together and 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 managed them commonly uh, across the government, uh, with the SmartPay One contracts being awarded in, in in 1998. So let's talk a little bit about the growth of the micro purchase. Way back when, when uh, when it was Rocky Mountain and Commerce and the Impact program. The micro purchase level was at twenty five hundred. So walk us through the uh, the incarnation of of that, please. Sure. And and what just uh, in terms of the historical concept again before I get into the uh, the threshold changes is uh, there. You may remember uh, there OFPP, the Office of, of Federal Procurement Policy, under Steve Kelman had uh, agencies signing up to pledges uh, to use the card in, in the early days. And the idea was, was to allow frontline program personnel uh, in the purchase card world uh, who were responsible for these multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar programs to make relatively inexpensive purchases uh, to support mission delivery and get that relatively simple high volume work out of the procurement offices where the highly trained acquisition officials could could focus more on larger buys where all their talent and experience really more greatly benefits the government. At the same time, on the travel front, you know, I can remember going to a cashier's window to get a cash advance before going on travel. And the advent of the travel card did away with that necessity, you know, that you don't have to go and, and get a cash advance. In fact, ATM use is, is largely discouraged now as well because the cards are so so broadly accepted. And on the fleet front, we used to do purchase orders with individual gas stations. So, you know, that was all done away with when the fleet card came. But you're, you're absolutely right. Out of the Federal Acquisition Streamlining Act of 1994, which established the micro-purchase deregulated streamlined threshold of procurement where you didn't have to have a contracting officer's warrant. Uh, You had to be trained before you got the card, before you assumed any role uh, with the card, the purchase card. But it was a $2,500 limit to start in 1994. And then in 1998, 
there was something called the Stafford Act that was passed that addressed uh, declared contingency operations, emergency operations. And the micro purchase threshold under that for declared emergency uh, went to $20,000 within the U.S. and outside the U.S. It's now $35,000. Then in 2010, there was there's a provision in the FAR the federal acquisition regulation that allows procurement thresholds to be adjusted every five years based on economic factors. So in, in 2010, that 2,500 micro per routine micro purchase threshold got raised to um, 3000. And then in 2015, for the same reason, it went to 3,500. And then in 2017 and the national defense authorization act, uh, it increased to $5,000 and then was shortly uh, after that raised to $10,000 in, in FY18. So you could see the growth, and that's where it stays today. The micro-purchase threshold is currently uh, at $10,000. There have been some suggestions about raising it even further. Uh, those really haven't gained any traction yet, but I'm, I'm hopeful we'll be able to do that. Um, but uh, $10,000 is where it sits today. And that's the full story, Mark. Yeah, and, and it was intriguing because I, I advised a number of the business catalog companies back in the 90s. And that would include companies now like CDW and Granger and Fisher uh, I was advising them on going after the charge card program business in government because as a rule back then, the average order of a business-to-business catalog company was four to 600 bucks. And when, when we ran the prefixes through their programs, we saw that the average government order was roughly twice that. And they were shocked, number one, that they were doing government business, number two, at how much government business was being transacted by them. And most of them didn't even have a GSA schedule at the time because the micro purchase program didn't demand that. Uh, those those were, uh, were interesting days. And obviously, the most successful of them transitioned to regular government contracting, GSA schedules and other contracts. Yeah, well, to this day, one of the foundational principles of micro-purchasing, the micro-purchase category of spend, is that it's highly deregulated. So there are are uh, fewer limitations in terms of what sources you have to go to. For example, uh, a cardholder does not have to buy off a GSA schedule, does not have to buy off GSA Advantage. Now, of course, we encourage um, agencies to use GSA Advantage and GSA sources. I mean, I work for GSA, so I'll admit to a bias up front, Mark. I want them to leverage GSA as much as possible because I think we got great products and services for the customer agencies out there. You know, we're the only agency that exists uh, to, to support the agencies with, with acquisition, real estate management, uh, IT. I mean, that's the whole reason we're there is to service these agencies. And so in a program like SmartPay, where we get no direct appropriation from Congress, uh, if, if we don't put the products and services out there that the agencies want to use, we basically go out of business. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a catch-22 for you. 
But well, you know, I, I consider it an exciting challenge. So you know, in it, terms of it, it is. And the reason I used to have you on, and we'll we'll, we'll get back to our regular rhythm uh, in the future. But the reason I used to have you on is I've always been a fan of this program. I've always been excited by this program, and I love it when the government innovates like this. Yeah, you know, we talk sometimes about shared services um, across government, and but I refer to, to GSA SmartPay as a shared solution. So the program in many ways is, is almost like um, Lego blocks in the sense that you can configure it and build it out to solve uh, a wide range of commercial payment uh, issues. For example, uh, the large transit benefit programs in the government uh, TransServe uh, at DOT and the GoCard program at HHS, they both leverage uh, GSA SmartPay card products. So, you know, you wouldn't know it was a SmartPay product behind that uh, necessarily, but if you can take the, the controls that we have, the spending limits, uh, the reports, data, data mining and, and training and so forth, and tailor it to address a specific agency business need, you know, that's the secret sauce. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with David Shea, Director of the Office of Charge Card Management at GSA. We'll, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with David Shea, who is the Director of Charge Card management at the uh at gsa that means he runs the smart pay program which is uh from my perspective one of the coolest programs i've monitored for the past now 25 years david um so where's the money being spent what are the product and service categories that are that are hottest here okay when you look at total spend by merchant category code, which is how the industry classifies the spend. Uh, number one is clothing and retail stores. Number two is healthcare. Number three is furnishings, appliances, and maintenance. Uh, four is business and professional services. Five is electro- electronic and technical services. And six is educational services. There's a lot of training that's, that's bought through the card program. And you asked me to also talk about the agencies with with highest card use. So when you look at this spend from a purchase card perspective, um, our top agency is is VA, uh, followed by DOD, uh, the Department of Justice, HHS, Health and Human Services, and then the Department of the Interior. Uh, again, that's in purchase card. If you're talking travel, uh, DOD is number one, followed by uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of State, the Department of Justice, and the United States Department of Agriculture. And then in the fleet world, any guess who's top in fleet, Mark? Um, I, I, I know that there's two major fleets run by the government, GSA and Postal, so it's got to be one of them. You're right. So the top is Postal. Uh, followed by GSA, and then the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Justice. And so that kind of rounds up the uh, the top spend categories and the top agencies. 
And, you know, what is GSA doing to to help agencies further experience uh, commercial buying uh, beyond just what the cards offer? And uh, out of another program office within GSA, uh, there was a, a law that passed that required GSA to pursue what's called the commercial platform program. And um, this program evolved since our, our last uh, conversation. Uh, it's, um, it's a program where uh, the smart pay card, the GSA smart pay card is the sole payment method. And it encompasses three platform providers. And those are Amazon Business, Fisher Scientific, and Overstock Government. And this program's continuing to roll out across the government. Agencies make a decision whether they want to participate in it or not. And um, when I say the commercial uh, buying experience, it's like what you would get with, with Amazon or another vendor where, for example, you get information about uh, when the, the product that you ordered is going to be delivered and so on and so forth. Um, in fiscal 22, the spend under the commercial platform program totaled just over $43 million with 26 uh, participating agencies through about 156,000 transactions. So it's another great uh, GSA program, another tool in the toolkit for agencies to use when they need to buy uh, products. And so you get, uh, you know, the arrangements that GSA has made contractually with these platform providers, the benefits of, of those terms. And then you, you augment that with using the card, uh, the ease of use there and the refunds that the agency can earn. So it really is a great value add uh, for the agencies that need to buy the products that are available uh, under those various platforms. Yeah, you know, the, the overstock one, I, I understood the Amazon thing because you can buy anything through Amazon, and I do. And I understood Fisher because I, I did some work with them a long time ago, and I understand the breadth that they bring to the market. The one that surprised me was overstock um, because it, it just seems like, oh, leftover stuff, what? Um, but that, you know, it's always struck me as a little odd. Um, well, I, I, I can't comment on a specific vendor. Um, I, I would defer those who are interested to, to contact uh, the commercial platforms folks at GSA. You might be pleasantly surprised about what's offered there, Mark. So I think it's, it's, it's more expansive than you may recall. I, I, I know it is. I know it has to be. But I've, I've never looked. It just struck me as odd when I saw the awardees of the contract. I'm going, what? That's, you know, little head scratching before I did a little digging. Um, and I don't mean to pick on overstock, uh, nor, nor do I mean to hype Amazon, but I'm probably buying from them today anyway. You have other interesting things coming down the pike here. Uh, so, the the section eight eight nine. What what's this all about? Okay, so section eight eight nine of the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year twenty nineteen, which is Public Law one fifteen two thirty two, prohibits the federal government from acquiring any equipment system or service that uses what they call covered technology, uh, covered telecommunications equipment or services produced by certain uh, companies such as uh, Huawei Technologies Company, ZTE, 
Hytera, uh, and and others. So these are are prohibited um, Chinese technologies that you know the the prohibitions not only apply to to government contracts but they also apply to micro purchases. And so one of the things that my office is always focused on is is that pillar I mentioned earlier about the micro-purchasing and the purchase cards and the establishment of these programs in the first place. And that was trying to maintain uh, simplicity, streamlining uh, business processes and, and saving money. So, you know, how could we help cardholders uh, understand when they're going to buy from a particular merchant or vendor, that that vendor is in compliance with 889. And it's not just that the government can't buy the prohibited technology. It's also if a vendor uses prohibited technology in any part of their business, if it's if it's integral to that business, the government can't do business with them either, even if it's on the commercial side as opposed to the government uh, side of their of their business. So, uh we're in the process of working to uh, deploy a, an 889 uh, search tool that will search SAM uh, to see if a merchant has the representations on file uh, that they can place in SAM on an annual basis regarding compliance uh, with Section 889. Now, I want to point out that micro-purchase vendors, if they only do micro-purchase business with the federal government, don't need to register in SAM, but there, so this is only a partial solution and it's a start, but there are vendors who do business both above and below micro purchase that will of course be registered. So this gives the cardholders, most of whom are non-procurement personnel, uh, a really easy search tool uh, that again, not out there yet, we'll be implementing it on our website, smartpay.gsa.gov, uh, later this year in fiscal 23. And it's so simple. It's Mark, it's just a search box and, and you, you put in a vendor name and it'll return a result uh, and a document that the cardholder can electronically place in their purchase file uh, to document that they check that that vendor uh, had the representations on file uh, or it did not, or there were some other special circumstances that applied that the cardholder needed to go further research uh, elsewhere. This tool was originally developed um, by some uh, programmers at NASA, and uh, a member of my team found out about it. We took a look at it, and I mean, it just struck me how elegantly simple uh, this thing was and, and how it aligned with the overall intent and purpose of, of GSA SmartPay. So uh, we were able to, to get that code from NASA, very appreciative of that, and refine it. And we're now in the uh, final stages of security testing uh, before we can deploy that tool for the benefit of the cardholders. And then down the road, the hope is to add other capabilities to it uh, beyond just searching SAM, the System for Award Management, uh, to further help ease cardholders' um, responsibilities in terms of am I, am I buying from a compliant vendor or not. Cool. We're going to take our final break and come back and wrap up after this. I'm here today with David Shea, Director of the Office of Charge Card Management at GSA. David and I will return in just a moment. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center. 
on Federal News Network. I'm here with my friend and uh, and the director of Office of Charge Card Management at GSA, David Shea. Um, SmartPay.gsa.gov. Uh, that's correct. Okay. Yes, that's our website. So, or you can just Google SmartPay, and you'll probably pop up. Um, so, in in the last segment, you you referenced that most of the charge card holders are not procurement professionals. So we've discussed this before, but not in a long time. What kind of training goes into and what kind of continuing training goes into the, uh, the card holder uh, uh, education? Sure. Another, another great question. So uh, before anyone can assume their role in the card world, whether they're a, a card holder, an approving official, uh, what we call uh, an AOPC, an agency or organization program coordinator, and there are there are tens of thousands of these uh, folks fulfilling these roles. Many of them as a collateral duty across the government around the world. They have to be trained. You can't just get a a, a card. You can't just become an approving official. You first have to get uh, this training. And most agencies, particularly your larger agencies, are going to have uh, training that is specialized for how they use the card programs uh, in relation to their specific mission and their agency-specific policies. Uh, So we have generic uh, cardholder and uh, AOPC training on the GSA SmartPay website uh, you referenced before, smartpay.gsa.gov, and tens of thousands of of government employees take that training uh, every year. In terms of of required or or, uh, recurring training that you asked about, the refresher training, as we call it, uh, the Office of Management and Budget has a, a circular called OMB Circular A123 Appendix B. Uh, The name just rolls off the tongue, and it's entitled Managing Risk in Government Charge Card Programs. And within that circular, government-wide refresher training is required no less frequently than every three years. Now, there are some agencies that require it uh, more frequently of their cardholders, and many agencies... uh, will require their cardholders to take not only their specific agency purchase card training, for example, uh, but also to take the GSA generic training. There are also, in, mo- in many agencies, is specific uh, travel card training that employees have to take, and in, agencies, in certain agencies, there is fleet card training as well. We also offer, not for cardholders, but for card managers across the government, an annual training forum. And my office uh, manages this, and we include the banks and the brands. As you know, we have two contractor banks right now, U.S. Bank and Citibank. Uh, And the brands we have, as I mentioned before, are Visa and MasterCard. And we also have some special uh, what are called closed network fleet products uh, from Voyager uh, and WEX. And uh, so these uh, partners will work with us in offering uh, more than 200 training class sessions 
at this annual training forum that's generally attended by 4,000 or more card managers from agencies across the government. It's one of the largest training events that, that GSA holds. And again, it's focused on card managers and them understanding um, because the integrity of the program is very important. You have all these card accounts out there. They have to be set up properly. The correct spending limits. Remember, every card has a per transaction spending limit and a cycle spending limit. We also have MCC blocks. I, I referenced merchant category codes before. So particularly, for example, on travel cards, you'll see that certain uh, vendor groupings are, are blocked uh, on those. And these are all internal controls. You've also got reports, best practices, lessons learned, networking between agencies, payment innovations, all these different things being covered uh, in the annual forum. We also touch base with the agencies on card management issues, uh, both on a monthly basis. I sponsor an unstructured uh, conference call. And what I mean by unstructured is there's no set agenda. It's driven by issues the agencies raise uh, every month. And then quarterly, we meet with the AOPCs, the Agency Organization Program Coordinators. And quarterly, we also meet uh, to discuss uh, data and trends uh, and reporting under the program through what's called our, our data management group. So we have a, a very comprehensive um, training, refresher training, continuous improvement type program uh, that we pursue with the agencies. Things are, are always evolving. And to that point, uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on that happened since we last spoke is uh, there was something called the Charge Act passed in 2022. It's Public Law 116-160. And this act required GSA to further advise agencies that the GSA SmartPay fleet cards could be used for paying uh, for charging electric vehicles. As you know, uh, the current administration is seeking to greatly expand the use of electric vehicles in the GSA fleet. So those vehicles are going to need to be charged. And so we actually issued a, a operational guidance on the use of the cards for EV charging. It's what we call smart bulletin number 36. We issue these, um, we're not a policy shop, but we issue operational guidance in the form of smart bulletins. And we post them on our website, smartpay.gsa.gov. And that provides more details on, on how the fleet card can be used to, to charge um, electric vehicles. The other thing in terms of program growth and agencies obtaining greater benefit from the program, when you look at micro-purchasing across the government, uh, the vast majority of it occurs on a smart pay purchase card. So, so where are the growth opportunities for agencies? And we think the greatest growth opportunity, but it's also very challenging to implement because of the process and, and system issues that surround contract payments is contract payments. So when you look at the FAR in part 13, part 13, it says agencies should not limit use of the card to micro purchases. We spent a lot of time today talking about micro purchasing, which of course is very important. But beyond that, the cards can be used uh, as a contract payment vehicle where the vendor is willing to accept it. Uh, and the benefit, of course, to that vendor or contractor merchant is they're going to get that fantastic speed of pay. 
uh, the agency is also going to earn that additional refund revenue to farm back into support emission delivery. So something we we continue to dialogue about and believe is the largest growth opportunity as you look out through fiscal 2031 and the end of the Smart Pay 3 program, start of Smart Pay 4, uh, is, is agencies considering where and how they can use the card or cardless accounts even to make payments under government contracts. So with more than $600 billion in annual contract spend reported through the federal procurement data system uh, every fiscal year and current procurement spend, uh, as I mentioned earlier, being around the uh, $23 billion range last year specifically, you can't say there aren't opportunities there, Mark, you know, between $23 billion and $600 plus billion for more vendors to be paid with a card. So the, the, this is something that we continue to dialogue and believe it is a, a fantastic opportunity for agencies, much like how you probably manage your personal finances. You know, there, there are probably bills that you pay, uh, things that you buy, you, pay, you choose to pay on a, on, a, on a credit card as an individual because you want to earn those miles or points or cash back or whatever. The federal government should be no different. If there are payments that we're going to be making, and the vendor is willing to accept the card, why don't we uh, get that extra benefit? David, thank you for coming today. Do you have any final thoughts for our, uh, for our listeners about the program? Sure. I just want to uh, thank the agencies uh, for their, their use and the, the frontline agency personnel who make the program uh, work every day uh, at the mission level. Uh, it's one of the best parts of, of my job at GSA, in, in my opinion, is, is, is working with the agencies and, and supporting their, their many great missions. And uh, I want to thank you again, Mark, for inviting me back on your show again. Uh, and uh, have a good remainder of the day. Hey, it's always a pleasure to have you, David. And again, we're not going to wait a couple of years to have you back because uh, I remain a huge fan of the program. So thank you. Thank and- you, Mark. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I specialize in helping companies develop uh, subject matter expert positions in the market, thought leadership positions, supplemented by content, and leveraging LinkedIn. If this resonates, drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 